I played at a decently high level, college division one, uh, low professional. Actually, we were looking at a, a doubles match. We were Google searching my name, and I was, I was we one. We Google searched our names the other day. Yeah. That's when you know that. That's when you know you're in quarantine. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to episode number twenty-four of the Shankcast. Welcome to quarantine edition of the Shankcast. Kevin and Megan, how are you guys doing? Doing good. Isolated, but good. <laughs> So Kevin and Megan are at their home. I am at my home right now. We thankfully have the we have the technology to record remotely and hopefully get good audio. James, thank you in advance for making this hopefully sound good, even though we probably messed a bunch of stuff up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, sure. yeah, it's, it's weird not sitting across the table from you guys, but very much looking forward to talking about how our listeners can make the most of this difficult situation and still make progress, still do productive things that can help their skills at home. Yeah, because I think that's the biggest thing right now is that people, a lot of people think that you have to halt what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. so I think understanding all of the areas that you can actually improve at your house is going to help you not only to be positive, but also actually like help you be able to keep not your tennis improvement. Well, I mean, like keep your tennis improvement going throughout this whole craziness. For yeah. sure. No, I totally agree. I think um, it's just thinking outside the box. And I guess it's really not even thinking outside the box because the pros do this already. Um, just most people like recreational players and most people with nine to five jobs or they just don't think about doing off court stuff when this is a regular routine of the pros. So I think it's, it's super important. And so this craziness has given us an opportunity to kind of recheck and go deeper into some things that we just haven't been able to do. So that's a really good point about the pros off court. I I don't think most people understand or realize how much work gets put in off the court by professional players. And I think a lot of that is taken for granted by fans. Like we see them show up and just walk out onto the court and like hit ridiculous shots. But yeah, I don't think many people understand the amount of preparation and work and blood, sweat and tears that, that goes in off the court by professional players. Yeah. In all areas, like, like we literally do a three minute stretch and a 10 minute warm up <laughs> if we're really on our game and then we play a match. And I mean, they're, you know, stretching three times a day regularly, as well as, you know, a 45 minute warm up before they do the 10 minute. I mean, it's so there's just a entire never another level. And I think this gives us an opportunity to do those areas that we don't do at all, (laughs) much less just a little bit, you know, so um, it can make a huge difference, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's a chance to form new habits, I feel like, and explore new ways of improving and then kind of incorporate that into routine when things go back to, to normal again. Yeah, plus I think it just helps p- give you a routine, like something that you can do for yourself every day because it can go like a downhill spiral. Like if I, I get to sit at my computer and work all the time or go, you know, like do other things. Um, like, you know, you can always clean the house. You can always cook more. You can always do laundry. Like you can always always do, yeah, you can always cook more. Um, you know, like you can do all of those types of things, but if you're not really doing anything for yourself over a long period of time, it's really hard to like 
feel positive about this whole situation and find different avenues to feel okay. So I think making sure that you have time for yourself is huge. And that's uh, one thing that this can do during this as well. But yeah, I like the, the mention of new habits because I think, especially during this time, people start doing these habits and they think, oh, this is just because we're at home and this is what we're supposed to do because we're at home. Instead of creating a habit that you can take back to when we return to the courts. And I think that's super important. If you take these habits of like training this way, this will dramatically improve your game after you get back on the court. And it's not like a substitution. It's like something, again, that the pros Mm. do all the time that we just not privileged to seeing. It's like, I I think of it as like Disney world. You ever hear that analogy of Disney world that like when you walk into Disney world, like everyone, the characters are all in character all the time and you never see them out of character. If you're lucky enough to go behind the scenes, then you see it. And so like when we see the pros, they're in character, they've done the hard work, they've done all this extracurricular stuff that a lot of times we don't see and we take for granted. And I think if we incorporate that into our own games, it it puts us in a, in a, in a sense of training like the pros. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to go through seven different ways to make the most of this time at home. And those seven ways really quickly, and we're going to spend, I don't know, maybe three, four minutes on on each one. And each of us are going to take the lead on one of those seven or multiple of those seven. And then we'll have a quick uh, discussion and give you guys some input and feedback on what you can be doing right now in the areas of goals, footwork, fitness, the mental game, technique, strategy, and coordination. So we've worked hard to really kind of cover all the bases here and get all the core skills, like fundamental foundational elements that you need to be successful in your tennis game. And let's start off with goals, featuring Goals Girl. That would be me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's really important to have goals if you want to see results. I think it's really hard. We always look at the day-to-day and it's really hard to see improvements over, you know, a small amount of time, a week, or even sometimes a month. But if you look over a certain amount of time and you have goals in place that you were trying to achieve, you're going to be able to not only reach those goals faster and feel like you're accomplishing things over this time period, but you're going to be able to put that back into creating habits when you get back on the court, like we talked about. But I think it's all about making sure that you understand how important goals are because so many people just skip over and they're like, yeah, okay, goals. They want me to set some goals. Great. You know? And then they're like, all right, now I'm going to go do fitness. Yeah, for sure. It's like some kind of homework that that I have to do. (laughs) Right. For sure. That's I was a homework person too. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I think it's, it's so important to understand, like, it helps you to stay on track. It helps you to stay positive mentally, like during these tough times, it helps you to focus on something that you love. Like we can all agree. We love tennis. And if you're listening to this, you love tennis. You don't listen to the Shane cast just because you like are really because poor, of us. hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, you love tennis. And so if you just are giving up that all in all during this time, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit and it doesn't have to be, you know, three hours a day. If you just focus on, even if you do 10 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day, that's all you really need to give yourself something that you love that you can do each and every day. And it really, really makes a huge difference if 
you are understanding and making the the goals, understanding how important they are, but making the goals really specific in what you're trying to accomplish. Not like, all right, I want to be better in three months. Like, and that's my goal, just to be better. Because that's not really very specific. But understanding like, <laughs> Kevin's like smiling, understanding that you want to actually be specific <laughs> about what you want to accomplish. So, you know, I want to work on my forehand technique or I want to do whatever it is. I want to increase my footwork. Um, I want to be more efficient in something that you're struggling with on the court. This is the time to work on it. And writing those goals down is really important. And, you know, through this whole process, we give you a weekly schedule to follow. And it doesn't have to be, like I said, three hours or something. You can do it in 30 minutes a day or whatever you need to. We give you two different things each day. Day that you can work on. And every Monday you have goals. And every Monday you're going to be able to see whether you are accomplishing those goals or whether you need to focus on something specific more, or whether you need to dedicate more time or whether you need to, you know, step up and do a little bit more, whatever you're going to be able to tell because you're checking in with yourself weekly. And not only is it like a check-in, but it, it holds you accountable. And if you get a friend, like if we call up Ian and say, hey, want to be my friend to do the program together and hopefully he would say yes um and then (laughs) okay okay yeah that sounds so exciting um and then you we would be able to hold each other accountable and be like hey did you do your stuff today or hey you know what did you do today and um making sure that it's always more fun with a friend anyways i think it's always more fun with a friend this is true um but it's always (laughs) it'll help you to be accountable as well just ignore that and then the more that you actually do this now and set a routine like every morning at 9 a.m you know write yourself a time like i'm going to do this every morning at 9 a.m i'm going to go through i'm going to set goals i'm going to work on whatever is set for that day footwork and mental or whatever is set for that day and understanding that the more you make that a routine now, the more it becomes a habit when you get back to the courts and you're going to be able to feel like you can set goals for yourself weekly or monthly um, on things that you want to work on on the court and off the court. Good stuff. Well said. Yeah. Before we move on to number two and keep going down the, the rabbit hole here, just wanted to let you all know that we just, a couple days ago, for the first time, made available Home Tennis Max which is a, a program that we put together. We got home from California, had to cancel all of our, our coaching, and literally the next day went to work planning this program because we knew people were going to need some kind of plan to follow, some kind of support and guide on how they can maintain their game during this crazy time where we're all stuck away from a court. So highly recommend you go check out Home Tennis Max. That's at hometennismax.com. And it covers all the seven areas that we're going to talk about today, but in a lot of depth, a lot of detail, and gives you exactly the step-by-step process to follow. So goals, so what are the action steps right, right now, people can take right now, Megan, to get started? Besides, uh, it sounds like setting the time, uh, getting a, a buddy, uh, what else should people be doing right now? I think if you can actually set a time every day that you're going to do something 
whatever's laid out in the schedule that we put in there. We have a complete calendar in there for you that you follow. And if you have a time set that I'm going to do on Monday, I'm doing footwork and mental at this time every Monday. On Tuesday, I'm doing this technique and fitness every Tuesday at this time. Then I think that along with finding an accountability partner, a buddy to do this with, will be huge in just pushing you forward. Awesome. Good stuff. All right, let's move on to number two way people can improve at home, and that's footwork. Mr. Garlington. Footwork. Well, I mentioned this before, and I think this is a huge advantage this time in a sense of doing it at home because I think most people, when they think of footwork, they combine it with hitting a tennis ball, which equals disaster. And... (laughs) So they moving your feet and moving your hands equals disaster, disaster. Um, and so they go out, they're like, Oh, I learned this new footwork and I'm going to go hit four hands and try it. And it just blows up and then they get dejected and then they miss the opportunity to improve their footwork, to learn how to move more efficient. And with that efficient movement, actually learn how to hit the ball harder because you're using your body properly. And so all, all these negative things trickle down. And so I think it's really important as a fundamental thing of when you're going to work on something like footwork that you take the ball away. Do not play with the ball. Um, So you can really isolate and focus on the footwork because it's such a fundamental thing in a sense of you got to think you have years and years of training of moving, just walking. We're we're taking tennis out of the thing. And so that becomes a habit. (laughs) And if you don't know how to walk straight, that's just a disaster already. But most of us do. But when you now go into the tennis court and potentially learn poor footwork habits, you have to untrain that. And, you know, I've just listened to a lot of people who say, well, you just, you feel it. You just, you like, you like massage and walk over just to do the what's ball natural, and, Kevin. Yes, I know. I hate when people say that. <laughs> well, just okay, FYI, okay, because yeah. I'm sorry. Footwork in general is not like a natural. Okay, I, I'll, I'm going to go two parts with that. Seriously, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go two parts with that. Two different thought processes. In a sense, with 99% of tennis players, they don't start off learning footwork from the beginning, and they don't have someone guiding them through the process of footwork. Generally, for the first probably two or three years of a recreational tennis player, they're focused on just hitting the ball. And so footwork is like in the back seat, in like the, the, the car seat, like being wrapped up and you're like, ah, we'll just keep them quiet. And so I think it's really important to understand that. So when people say, oh, it's just natural, you don't have to think about it. Well, you've already built in these habits that you have to untrain. And so, yes, you do have to think about it. You do have to put some rote memorization, like breaking it down to unlearn those bad habits. So when people are just like, oh, yeah, it's just natural, you're, or, Sometimes people are like, oh, this is too much to think about. These are too many steps. Well, it is too many steps because you have to unlearn all the bad habits. So I'm not going to go on a rant. If you were the type of person that in the beginning you had someone to walk you through the proper way of kind of walking out to the ball, then it would probably seem more natural. But I just don't think a lot of people have that opportunity. So to kind of round up my point about this, this is a huge opportunity to retrain your footwork without having those barriers of hitting the ball and not having the pressures of having to go play. Cause most people are like, I do want to get better footwork, but I got to play a match next week. <laughs> so I don't want to blow th- this up for my partner or for my team. And so it adds that extra element of like pressure that like I, I have to perform for my team 
or I don't want to take a bunch of losses. So again, that's another benefit of this moment. And so when we talk about footwork in the program, it's really about breaking down the fundamentals of moving out to a normal ball in a way that's structured that you can learn and you can do step by step in your home and get better at it. And this, I mean, I played at a decently high level, college division one, uh, low professional Actually, we were looking at a, a doubles match. We were Google searching my name, and I was I was we one. Google searched our names the other day. Yeah. That's when you know that. That's when you know you're in quarantine. Yeah, yeah. And I was. I've one, never done that before. It was the first time. Oh, really? I was one point away in a doubles match from um, getting a professional ATP tour point. That was the first thing that came up. But oh, man. the point is that before going out and playing at a high level like that, I worked on my footwork without a tennis ball. And I worked on it and you could say, well, Kevin, didn't you, wasn't it just natural? No, I actually had to break it down and I was already playing in college tennis, division one. So if you're out there and you're thinking, oh, this is, this is just, shouldn't be so hard. It's hard. It was hard for me in the beginning to break it down. And so this moment is huge for your footwork because you'll, you'll learn how to move out to hit a proper open stance. You'll learn how to move out and, and uh, use a neutral stance so you can step in the court. You'll learn the front foot hop, which, again, so hard because people are in such a rush to get these things down without really learning the fundamentals that this is just a ginormous moment and I can't, I can't say it enough because when I was playing, I had to take time away from the court specifically and train these habits over and over again off the court. And I think people don't do it enough and there's a lot of pressure around it. So this is a huge moment for it. So rather than have Kevin like a, talk about footwork patterns, I think the best way to really get an action step from this specifically is go check out the free video that we published mm. just about a week ago. If you go to our YouTube channel or you go to our Facebook page, you will see a video that's called how to improve your backhand footwork at home. And Kevin, why don't you just tell us real quick about that video and tell people what they're, what they're going to learn there. In that video, we talked about the open stance backhand. And I use that as a tool because one thing I think people don't understand about footwork is that you can kind of template it over to another side. So just like we worked on the backhand open stance footwork, the same general steps are on the forehand. And so if you learn one pattern, like the open stance backhand footwork, you're essentially learning two patterns. And not only you're learning two patterns, you're learning two patterns and moving in different directions. So we, in that video, just moved laterally in my living room. But you were pretty much do the almost the exact same thing to move backwards. And so I think it's really important that people really get super confused about footwork. And if you learn one pattern, you can take that learning over to the other side, meaning that if you learn your backhand footwork pattern for this, like we talk about in this video, you essentially have the template for learning your forehand open stance footwork. And so the more you get better at one, you can essentially transfer that learning over to, to another side. So you get double the bonus. Quick rant for me on this, because that was a really good video. It gave people excellent like step-by-step instructions and homework to do and all that. And there's a couple of people in the comments that were like, I don't have that much space in my living room. And they that's were talking the, about... Yeah, that's the craziest <laughs> thing ever. Our living room is not very big either. <laughs> yeah, that's number one. But they were like, oh, my coffee table is going to destroy my shins. And I'm like, 
listen, if that's your attitude, like if if all you can see is your coffee table that's not bolted to the ground that you can move <laughs> over to the other side of the of the room. And Kevin, what were you taking? Three steps in that pattern? Yeah, three steps. And I on purposely did it two different ways in a sense that I did it in a very small space, the first one, and I did it in a very big, a little bit longer space to just demonstrate how you can still take three steps and cover more ground if you learn to measure the ball. And I did it on purpose for that reason, explaining for measuring, but also to show people that you don't need a lot of room. Yeah, like, our a lot rug of times is an I'm 11 doing... by 13 rug, and we stayed within the oh, yeah, middle well within of that. the rug. Yeah, I, I can literally do, I mean... I could probably do that footwork in, in, in the bathroom. Maybe that should be my challenge. Can I hit an open stance backhand in Our my bathroom? bathroom. Yeah, the bathroom. Our bathroom is tiny too. Yeah. It like, like seriously, two of us in a bathroom. Pe- two people can't be in the bathroom. You're you're like doing like you gotta ballet. brush teeth once at a time. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to for people who are maybe listening, and being like, oh, I don't. It sounds great, but I live in an apartment or like a condo. I just don't. You literally just need to be able to take three steps. And they don't even have to be big steps. It's, it's not like you have to make some kind of big athletic move to still train good patterns. Here's so a definitely check thing that I want to add to yeah, that. Um, and you don't need to use your racket. That's another thing. I think people are like, oh, dude, he's using a racket swinging. You could totally take your racket out of it. I, I, I use the racket in there just so people have this context of like what the racket might be doing. But a lot of times I don't use the racket because I'm just focused on the footwork and I want to isolate that. Um, and sometimes when people don't see a racket, they kind of wig out and are like, whoa, dude, no racket. So I think it's really important to realize you don't have to use a racket. You only need three steps and you could probably do it in your bathroom. Those are my highlights. <laughs> it should be, that should, should be video. Bathroom. Yeah. You should, in response to that comment on YouTube, you should be like footwork in your bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, I think the other thing that I heard about that video was like, well, I don't hit an open stance back in. Well, this is the yeah, time yeah, totally. to actually try something that you don't normally do all the time. If you want to improve your tennis, you have to try things that you haven't done your entire time of playing tennis. Um, and so working on something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, this is the time to do it. And, um, and so, yeah, just move your crap and work on stuff outside the box. And if you're going to say that like you don't like, or you can't hit it or or you don't, what was it? You don't use a one open stance back in. Yeah. That was just literally telling me like a weakness that I'm going to attack. Like yeah. literally saying that, oh, more than likely you can't probably hit a return to serve open stance. You can't handle a high ball to your backhand without having to run up or take it on the rise and take out. I mean, my brain, it's like the shark in the water. I just like so much blood in the water right now if I was going to play that person. Because I'm like, oh, I'm going to make them suffer. <laughs> so I think it's really important to understand, like Megan's saying. He be, really is a nice guy most of the time. Yeah, unless, you, you have, unless you're not using an open stance backhand <laughs> and I can just make you suffer. But I think it's really important to understand that, that those moments where you're like, you, you have to be aware enough to catch yourself when you say stuff like that and take a step back and go, yeah. why am I really saying this? Anytime am I saying I, this because this is a productive comment or am I saying this because... Yeah this is exposing some sense of insecurity about my tennis game. And I don't want to kind of dip into my toe in the water. And when you feel that, if you can have that sense of awareness, go like, Oh shoot, this is something I need to work on because I'm fighting it. Yeah. 
I think it's a really good point. Anytime you're t- thinking to yourself or tempted to say to a coach, this is stupid. It's probably, <laughs> it's probably a really key element that is a, is a roadblock to your, to your success. Yeah. All right. Number three is fitness. Back to Miss Megan. Sweet. So I think, you know, everybody knows that fitness is important. And everybody knows that you want to do fitness and, but there's so much, I mean, especially right now, there's every, I think every company is coming out with like fitness at home. Um, anything from Beachbody to, there are some tennis ones out there too, but I think understanding tennis specific fitness compared to your, you know, Joe Schmo fitness program is a huge difference in whether it's going to translate when you get back to the courts. Um, So if your goal is to actually improve your fitness for tennis, you need to make sure you're doing the the right tactics to make that happen. And just doing a random, you know, fitness program out there that's not designed for tennis is not going to help you really excel when you get back to the courts. It's really all about what what we focused on was understanding the three biggest sections that we think are going to be the biggest essential parts of your tennis game. Um, And the first one being body weight exercises to help you strengthen your muscles and help all of that. You know, it's, you don't need a bunch of weights and a bunch of crazy stuff. You see all the pros doing a ton of body weight exercises and you can get a lot of strength and by doing the correct ones. And the next one is active stretching. It's totally one of my favorites because a hundred percent if you're like me, we don't stretch enough. Well, I know Ian's the same way, and I know Kevin's the same way too. Um, none of dude, us stretch enough. I think, dude, it's I'm getting players. better. I'm gonna be sending. Have you been stretching? Sometimes. Yeah, I've been doing sun salutations every morning, and my I, I'm getting way. I watched myself that, doing that video, and I was uh-huh. so freaking the one with Joel. Yeah, I was like, I'm gonna yeah. do this every morning until I don't suck at this anymore. And I've gotten a lot better uh, already. I'm gonna definitely write it. You email should about do a, a before and after. I, yeah, I'm totally going to. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. I think yeah, that's okay. Um, but I and, feel I, like I totally feel a lot better. Like in, in a lot of different everyday like scenarios, like my body just feels better. And so yeah, I, it's, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think that it's really important, especially now that we're thrown out of our routine, because your body is doing something right now, whether it's you're sitting more than you're normally doing, or whether you're standing and moving more than you normally are doing, depending upon what your job is, could be either one. But I guarantee it's not the same as what you're doing at work, or what your normal day is. And so I think, you know, doing a lot of active stretching, and I like to call it active stretching, because it's not just standing there and like, doing your arms and just bending a little bit and being like, all right, I'm good. It's really holding and breathing and doing specific stretches that are going to help you prevent injuries um, when you get back on the court. So there's um, in the program, there's a ton of like there's sun salutations, which is the free one. If you have not seen the fitness video that we put out that was free, go do that one. We had a ton of people doing sun salutations and it was awesome to see. Um, it's a really good stretch to start with. And then the third one being balance exercises, because obviously tennis is 
all about balance. If you want to be able to run and be able to hit the ball efficiently and effectively, you have to be able to stay balanced so that you can recover back effectively. You can use your footwork. You're going to be able to do that. If you don't have good balance, number one, when you're running off the court, you're not going to be able to recover and it's going to be very inefficient. And so you're going to end up having to go for a winner or go something crazy because you know that you can't get back. So having, working on, you know, toe touches and lunges with twists and different things that will really help you to work on center, your center of gravity and balance is huge. But I think understanding that those three combined are really, really important for tennis players. And we did a really we were really specific about what exercises we put into this program because there's not a ton. It's not 20 million exercises. The routines are not going to take you, you know, an hour long by any means. Um, you can get everything done within 30 minutes. I mean, actually, I think it's like less. I think it's like 15 minutes. Um, pretty much you can get every day that you're doing the fitness. You can have it done, but it's really about the type of stretches that you're doing and holding them for long periods of time for the stretching and um, doing exercises that are just specific to tennis and not just the random Joe Smo like I'm going to go run a marathon kind of thing. Good stuff. So the title of that video, if you want to check out the, the free resource that we published, is How to Improve Your Tennis Fitness at Home. And again, you can find that on YouTube. You can find it on, on Facebook. Did, all, did those full videos go out to Instagram as well? Is that on our Instagram yeah. mm-hmm. account? All right, cool. Yep. Or, or on Instagram. IGTV. And, and, yep. Awesome. And we, we also had a, a free PDF guide that went along with those. So you can literally get a day-by-day schedule. So, so make sure to check that out. All right. Yeah, and the one with the sun. Sorry, the one with the sun salutations goes through it really slow and really calmly, and so that you can do as many as you can as you want to do too. So I think it's a really good way. Um, I I was getting into starting them. I have been slacking in the whole sun salutations in the morning lately. Now you're kind of making me want to compete, Ian. So I might start again. But um, (laughs) you got like two years before I catch up to wherever you are right now. So don't worry. Well, we're definitely not yoga instructors, so don't hold me to that, please, when you're watching. Uh, Those of you who teach yoga or do yoga regularly. But it's just, it doesn't have to be perfect, and neither does any of the fitness have to be perfect. You just have to do it. That's the biggest thing. Just do what you can do. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, next up, number four. Is it number four? Let's see. Goals, footwork, fitness. Yep, yeah, number four. Yep. Uh, number four, mental toughness with KG. Mental toughness, the <laughs> grind. Um, when I think about mental toughness, and for me it's very personal because I actually sh- feel like I struggled with being mentally tough when I was a junior and I spent a lot of time like reading, researching, learning more about the mind. And so a lot of it I think comes down to being prepared, like thinking about situations and how you're going to deal with it beforehand. Because I think a lot of confidence comes from knowing that you can deal with whatever comes up and to know you can deal with things. You want to start preparing beforehand. And I think a lot of times people, when they step on the court, they don't prepare. Literally it's like they walk on the court and they barely think about like their opponents and they don't, or they barely think about themselves and they very rarely think about their opponents in the sense of like, generally it's like, okay, it's been a long day at work. I'm going to go play a tennis match. I'm stretching. You're like halfway three games in and like, I think this person might be left-handed. Oh, shoot. (laughs) 
they're, they're left-handed. That's why I've been struggling. But I think if you have more of a systematic approach to like, okay, first of all, always trying to think about what you're, what's, what you do best and then also know what you don't do that good. And I think in this sense, it's really important to focus on what you don't do good because generally what you do good will take care of itself and what you don't do good will still suck. And so it's important to think about different situations of how you're going to handle those different situations of dealing with things that maybe you don't do the best with. And if you do that better, you're going to have a better opportunity of feeling confident about like, hey, if they do do this, the situation I don't like, and I have these options, and I'm not freaking out at the last second going like, oh, I hate when they do this, and I don't know what to do. It gives you more confidence. It gives you more ability to figure things out. And overall, as you do it more and more, you develop the skill of feeling more confident that you know you can deal with anything your opponent throws at you, or you can figure it out because you've prepared somewhat, and it gives you more confidence. And so what I shared with um, the viewers, you out there at home, is how to start thinking about the game, your game at least, and the things you don't do so well or the way your opponent presents a problem to you before you get on the court. And that's the key. It's like how many times do you – I see it so often where as a coach, a player go out and play and then the opponent exploits something. They come off and – in that second, they're really upset about it. But then you, you watch them throughout the week and they're running around hitting the shot that they really love. And you're like, hmm. And they go out and play another match. And then they're like, this exact same thing happens and like mad. And then after again, they go out and work on the things that they love. Instead of pinpointing, hey, at least what are some situations or what are some things you can do? And then actually working on it. But the first part is having more awareness about what you're going to do. So you don't have to gain any more skills in the beginning. It's just being aware about how you can change a situation or bend or flex a situation that is not so um, debilitating to you when you're, you're playing out there. And that, I think, for me, is what mental toughness is about. Yeah, you can focus on being rah-rah or being super positive. But I, I love the saying. I think there's two different sayings. I'm going to butcher both of them, though. Um, <laughs> I love <laughs> just, uh, just Mike Tyson. Just preferencing. Yeah, yeah. it's just just letting <laughs> you know. Mike Tyson has this saying. It's like, and he says it. I love it. He's like, everybody has a plan until I hit you in the face. And I think uh, what's the other one where it's like general pattern? Like, the, um, we were talking no about this one. Plan meets first contact with the enemy. That yes, what it is. and I think that's the key to becoming more mentally tough. Uh, survives, right? You, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. There we go. I think it's it's key that when you get hit in the face or your first plan A doesn't work out, most people freak out and it causes them to lose that toughness. The better players go, oh, I have another plan and another plan. And I think that's the key to being mentally tough and that's what we show you how to do. So tell us about the ABCs, Kevin. Let's give everybody some some homework. The ABCs are exactly what it sounds like. It's like you're playing A, B, and C. So when Mike Tyson hits you in the face or bites you on the ear, um, <laughs> you don't freak out because... <laughs> plan A, Because that might happen tomorrow at hey, your house, hey, in your home. <laughs> just in case. I'm, I'm, see, I'm getting you mentally prepared to cover anything that might happen. So it's good yeah, thing you're thinking Mike about Tyson it now, just you. in case. Yeah. But just in case you have another plan. And so it's really, it's really simple, but it's really powerful. The first isolate 
an issue that you have trouble with. Like I used to really struggle when people would just go high and heavy to my backhand. Well, in a match, I just never thought about it. Like, what should I do? But if you do think about it, come up with some ABCs. So plan A is like, hey, if they're going to go high and heavy, one thing I don't want to do is try to go down the line really close to the line. You know, what I'm going to try to do is instead of like, going for some huge down line shot, hit it high and heavy in the middle of the court and see if maybe they don't go back to my backhand. That's plan A. Well, maybe that doesn't work. So what do I do? Do I freak out again? No, plan B. Maybe I can slice my backhand or bring them into the court. That could be plan B. Uh, Plan C is maybe lobbing the ball up a little bit higher and seeing if I can run around to get out of the situation. And so you can see how I have these three different categories. If one doesn't work, I go to the next and the next. And sometimes you can increase the difficulty, but I like to start off with really simple things that can maybe get me out of that situation without having to take a whole lot of risk. And this is, it's so, so simple, but we just don't do it. We don't take the time to sit down and prepare and go, what if this doesn't work? You know, what am I going to do? We're so eager to go, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this to them. I'm going to hit my forehand and they're never going to get to my backhand. And then you never think about like the inverse of like, okay, what if that doesn't work? And so I think it's really important to have those plans like A, B, C to know what you can do with each situation. And don't just isolate it to one thing. You can you can take and create ABCs for all kinds of different situations. And I think that's great because then you're more prepared and you can start learning from having this preparedness how to deal with different situations when they happen. Awesome. Good stuff. All right, let's move on to topic number five, and that is fixing technique. And I, th- I think the you attitude You finally here- get to talk. <laughs> Yeah, finally. I Jeez. thought about that when we were actually recording, <laughs> but back back wave, you know, when we did this, and then when we started releasing videos, I was like, Ian doesn't come out to like video five yeah. <laughs> or something. It was crazy. People don't care what I have to say. It's okay. We Anybody care, who's still listening, Ian, thank you. We I love care. you. <laughs> I love you all. <laughs> all right. So technique, I I feel like this is kind of similar to Kevin, how you were describing that people always pair it together with hitting the ball. And I think there's kind of an assumption that that's how you get better at certain Mm -hmm. skills in tennis is you go out there and you put in the reps and you you just go hour after hour, like with the ball machine and you just slam, you know, forehands over and over again. And that's how you get better. But it's actually the opposite because every time a ball flies towards you, you are using your pre-recorded program stored in your brain, your habit, to hit the ball. And there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes in your subconscious that you're just not even aware of. And all of those habits add up to your skill level. So changing those habits <laughs> when the ball Ta-da. is flying back and forth is super, super difficult. And just like footwork, Kevin's talking about how changing footwork habits is super hard when you're worried about actually hitting the ball back. So I think number one is just people need to be aware of how much opportunity they have right now. It's really counterintuitive because we're so used to linking tennis improvement with time on the court. But this is the perfect time when you're not worried about letting your doubles partner down. You're not worried about letting your teammates down. You're not worried about letting yourself down and losing to Jimmy or whoever it is that you can now become more self-aware of what your technique is like and actually 
put in quality repetitions, moving away from that habit, doing something different. Like uh, Megan, I think you were talking about the open stance backhand. Yeah. And players and players saying, oh, well, I don't hit an open stance backhand. <laughs> well, guess what? That's leaving a huge hole in your, your skill set. And in the same way, people on their serve have a, a problem with their range of motion, uh, with their racket drop, or they use a different grip or whatever it is. And this is just a prime opportunity away from the pressure environment of hitting a ball back and forth to take advantage of the chance to actually do something different. And so I, I, the perfect way of doing that, what I demonstrated in the video, and if you want to see me do this step-by-step, step, you can go to our YouTube channel or Instagram account or Facebook page. And the title of the video is uh, Improve Your Tennis Strategy at Home. I'm sorry, improve, fix your, uh, wait, here it is. I got it. <laughs> fix, fix your tennis forehand at home is the, the technique uh, title of the video. And I go through step-by-step step in that video how to use your phone or your iPad or even a mirror to check what you're doing now and compare it against a world-class example. And then I, I provide a bunch of different progressions that you can use that I've talked a lot about on the Essential Tennis Podcast and you've seen us work through with students in our, our coaching videos I've just basically moved through shadow swings and then fake tosses where I'm dropping a ball and making a swing but not hitting the ball and then actually dropping and hitting the ball all while trying to do the same thing. And what was really interesting for me, Kevin and Megan, I don't know if you watched the video or not, but I worked on my righty forehand and <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, the, the result was like the exact same thing that we see with students on my shadow swing. I exaggerated it. Was it. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I exaggerated on the shadow swing. On the um, fake hit, it was like halfway in between. And then on the real hit, it was like right about what I was going for uh, <laughs> without like trying, you know, it was just happened to be what happened, which I thought was, was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think so many people think that they can't change technique off the court. And I think this is an amazing opportunity to actually change technique and have it stick because it is so, I mean, I can't tell you how many people are like, well, I worked on my forehand yesterday and then I played a match on Wednesday and it (laughs) didn't work. I'm like, yeah, it's not going to work. Like you literally gave it 24 hours, you know, (laughs) sometimes it takes three months for something to stick, you know? So I think that this is just like a one positive thing that could really come out of this is if you have things technical wise that you really would like to see improve, then I think this is an amazing time to do it because you can't go hit balls on the tennis court. You can't, I mean, some people still have private courts. Yes, I understand that. And you still have a ball. You just don't do it. But anyways, then, you know, this is just your opportunity to do things that, you haven't done before. And so, um, like I was talking to Karen the other day about how much her forehand has improved and how she, when she was doing shadow swings and, um, doing videos of them in her living room. And I was like a year ago, she couldn't, she, she was not rotating her body like that. Um, I don't know if you guys remember it at Indian for you did a one-on-one last year. Yeah. And so, you know, we were talking about how important it is and she was like, it's, 
it's been amazing to work on it, video it, see the shadow swings in your house. And so it was pretty cool. Yeah. And I think it's huge because you lay out a way to make the change. And I think that's one of the biggest things that people struggle with when they try to make a change. They don't take it in a systematic way. It's like literally like, okay, I, I need to change this. I know that. And, and so I need to rotate my body. So I'm going to go out there with the ball machine and rotate my body once and then like have balls fire at me. And I'm like, this isn't working. I can't make a change. And I think knowing the steps and like you talked about how, even how you knowing you've, I mean, you've taught this process a billion times and seeing how even your body reacts the same way. And you have to take yourself through the process. I think is such a key um, moment for everybody to, to be aware of like, you know what to do, but it doesn't matter. Like, you know, the technique, so, and I think, so when people kind of like watch a video and like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that. I, I saw that. It. Okay. Okay. I'm, I got it. And like, literally you, you teach this. And so you doing it right-handed, you know exactly what's supposed to happen. You, you know, in, in, intuitively, even how it's supposed to feel on your, on your left-hand side, but without the training, it just doesn't matter. And I think this is a huge key for people listening to understand that knowing doesn't equal being able to produce this muscle or reproducing this muscle event um, or the stroke event. And that's really huge because you laid out a format for people to overcome that, not overcome it, but take proper <laughs> steps to, to make a change. I want to overcome that. That's yeah. <laughs> so we go check all that. work on it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's something it, nobody escapes the, <laughs> nobody escapes <laughs> habit you know it, nobody escapes their hard wiring like it's it's there whether we know it's there or not and it's there whether we want it to be or not and so the only way around that is good good process and now is the perfect time to do that for sure all right next up strategy i took a different route in the the video here and Everybody, when they think of strategy, thinks about patterns and targets and aiming for the right place and geometry, different plays, like surf plus one and stuff like that. And what something that's really been stuck in my head since we came back from Indian Wells, the reason why I love going out and doing those clinics is there's always something. There's always something that we explain a little bit different way or somebody asks a question in a little bit different way. We explain the presentation is a little different and and there's like a connection point that gets made. And for me this year in Indian Wells, that was the connection point between the split step and identification of what's coming next. It's not so much that the split step is about footwork and movement and quickness and reaction time, which it is, all those things. But you can't split step at the right time unless you are preemptively reading what your opponent is doing and when they intend to hit the ball. And when you start looking at that, you notice all kinds of other things about their preparation and their balance and their position on the court. And now you can start to actually actively anticipate what's happening next and that very much is strategy so in a roundabout way the split step it's all about reading the shot from your opponent instead of just standing there and watching the ball and waiting for the ball to get hit and then based on the ball's flight being like oh it's going that going that way i guess i better i better go that way 
but high level players are doing something way deeper than that. They're reading and telling the future about what's about to happen next based on all the signs and signals that they see. And so their mind is actively and their body is actively preparing to do something specific before the ball is even hit. And sometimes all the best players in the world, sometimes their read is a little bit off, but all the times that their read is on, they have a huge jump on what's coming next. And it gives them the opportunity to be in the better spot that much faster and hit that much better of a shot. And in tennis, like time is just absolutely everything. So that, it was kind of a weird twist on like strategy in, in the, uh, the video, but I, I, I'm so, I'm like quadrupling down on the importance of the split step now. And I, I feel <laughs> like it's like my crusade is to get tennis players of the world to start using the split step because it's so underused and it, I don't think you could like overstate how important it is. Yeah, That's I think, well, and I think um, like you're talking about time, all of those go into creating more time for yourself. But I think it's all about like, the idea of do you want to be faster without actually having to be faster? And if your answer is no, I don't know how to help you, but I'm assuming your answer is yes. See you next yes. episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm assuming your answer is yes, because, you know, we all want to be faster, but it, there comes a time to where you just feel like, okay, I, I'm not going to be able, like my body can't handle training, speed training, all of this kind of stuff. And so understanding how to be efficient in footwork, how to be efficient in strategy, how to understand how to use the court, how to split step, all of those things make you faster without actually making you faster. Yeah. Yeah. It's so huge. So many players out there uh, between the footwork and the split step and the anticipation and patterns, players are working so much harder than they should have to. <laughs> yeah, They're making it's... the game so much more difficult because, and what's, what's ironic about it is they're doing things that, that they feel like it's probably saving them energy, you know? Like, like mm-hmm. uh, uh, splits up so much more, like my calves are tired. I, I'm just going to stop doing that. And they feel like it's less work, but the reality is they're having to work twice as hard to actually get to the ball right. and hit any kind of quality shot. Yeah, I think that's the that's the biggest thing. Is, is the that people it? are is working. It? No, it's it's the dog. Oh, it's okay, one of the kids. It's the dog <laughs> wanting in the office. Um, no, I think it's it's all about understanding how time is so precious in tennis, and you know, one second in tennis is like an eternity. And so if you can just, you know, be able to shave one fourth of a second off every point, even or you know, I mean, it can make a huge, huge difference in, like you said, being where the ball, being where it is without having to be, you know, being proactive instead of reactive in a sense of like being like, oh yeah, oh, yep, okay, run. Now this is the time, (laughs) you know, instead of being like, oh yeah, I know what's going to happen and I can play my percentages and and have an upper hand on your opponent for sure. And just saving energy. It's like, it's painful. Like you were saying, watching people move inefficiently, 
it's so painful watching them work so hard to be so slow and inefficient. <laughs> I just, that's I just how I feel when I, wa- like, when I watch myself hit a backhand. That's how I feel about my backhand. No. <laughs> Working but, so yeah, hard to get like, so little. <laughs> <laughs> and so by learning it, I mean, it's just, it's so huge. And when people get it, uh, you can just see the, like the light go off in their heads. Like, yeah. it's like, you can see them looking into their future and also into their past. Like the future is going to be so much better, but wow, the past has been so rough. Definitely. We're playing this up a lot. I, I really like, I really like the, the tone right now. It's, it's solid. So yeah, if, if you're, li- if you listen, if you finish hearing these words and you don't start working on your split step, just may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the homework that I gave for a uh, split step was turn a tennis match on TV or your phone or your tablet or your computer or anything and pick a player. And every time the, the player on the other side of the net hits the ball, make your split step. And so based on the speed of the shot and the, the shape of the shot that's going towards your imaginary opponent and their position how aggressive they're being with their footwork, you're going to time your split step in a different way every single shot. And I, I feel like that's the most important first step is just understanding the timing and just putting in some repetitions, practicing, just doing it at the, at the right time. So you can see me demonstrate that in Kevin and Megan's living room with an iPad by uh, just doing a search for improve your tennis strategy at home on, on YouTube. Okay, seventh, improve your eye-hand coordination. I like to do, doing this one a lot. I feel like I could do a whole course just like messing around with my racket and a, and a tennis ball. I feel like every tennis player does these without even thinking when you have a, totally, a yeah. tennis racket and a ball. It's like shadow swings in your house. Yeah. How often do you find yourself just randomly doing like forehands or backhands? Kevin's always doing backhands and like, it's like yeah. sh- It's like what I do in this, like when we're grocery shopping. Yeah, when you're like in line at a, at a team practice or a clinic or it's like a water break, like you're standing there with your racket, like you got to fiddle around, you know, with it. And <laughs> doing those kinds of things on purpose can actually be really great for improving coordination. So what I recommend you do here is just really simple things with your racket and a ball, just tapping the ball up and down. And it was actually great seeing our followers on social media post videos of, this is like what you start off with in like peewee classes, right? It's like yeah. rolling the ball yeah. like around the racket face and then doing ups and doing downs and, and get, just getting familiar with, oh, when, I, when my racket does this, then the ball does that. And when I make this change with my hand, then the ball does something different. And what's funny is watching players who've been around the game for a long time kind of mess around and play with this and experiment with it for the first time you you see you see them like shifting. You can just kind of see it in their eyes, their face. They're like, "Oh, geez, like this is harder than I thought it was going to be." And just standing there and being disciplined about putting a ball eighteen inches off your racket face and put it in the same space in the air in front of you again and again and again, using the front of your hand, and then again and again and again using the back of your hand, and then switching back and forth between the front of your hand and the back of your hand. Just that alone, I know it sounds like the most basic thing ever, but if you can be specific and disciplined about the result you're trying to achieve and be very, try to be very precise, 
then every little tweak and adjustment that you make to get a more consistent result, it's improving your awareness of what your hand is doing, what your racket face is doing, what the result is of the ball. And along with like footwork and like reading the ball, I don't know that there's a more fundamental skill than just reliably being able to line up your racket face with the ball, make clean contact, and have your racket facing where you want the ball to go. Like if you can't do that, then all your technique work doesn't make a whole lot of difference. All your footwork work and mental toughness and all everything else, it's like that with a lot of things in tennis, but you get the idea. If you can't line the racket up accurately and precisely over and over again, then everything else obviously becomes extremely, extremely difficult. So that's great practice, just ups and uh, taps back and forth. In that video, I also show... What else did I do in the free video? I don't remember, but another great thing to do, I don't remember if, if this was in the free video or not, is just simply take some, some low stick, like some masking tape or some painter's tape, and create a target box like on a wall. You don't need much space. If you can stand three steps away from a wall, then it's, it's far enough. And use just soft, open racket face, kind of uh, volley-type shots, to aim for the target, let the ball bounce in front of you, and then give yourself some kind of challenge, whether it's 10 in a row in the box with forehands, 10 in a row in the box with backhands, alternate back and forth between forehands and backhands. You can do a soft topspin, soft backspin. You can hit the box with the ball falling versus hitting the box straight. There's all kinds of different variations you can do to train your precision and your consistency just sending the ball where you want it to go that's team garlington i think the one where you throw it up and you catch it in your racket oh that was yeah that was in the free video too yeah yeah that's probably my favorite because i think that so many people did it and they were like it's so much harder than it looks and so i think that that's a real testament of like how soft are your hands and how mm. that like I have the world's non soft hands ever. <laughs> and so um, when I like when I was younger, I would always do that and it would like bounce off my racket, you know, like I would like try to catch it and it'd be like bing, bing, bing. And my coach would just stand there and look at me and laugh. And like over the years, I developed like how to actually like cradle the ball, how to get a little bit softer. I still don't have great hands, but you know, like it just being able to do that over and over again, I think can really help you to understand what soft hands means. That's like the one, it's probably because I think every tennis story comes from some like traumatic thing in my life when I was a child. But yeah, anyways, that was what, uh, that's like, I always tell these stories and it's always like something traumatic Traumatic. that happened that I'm like, you know, I remember stuff why. But yeah, I think that that's, I remember that one a lot. And I think that one helps me more than anything else on understanding the idea of softness and understanding not death gripping. Wait, yeah, what does totally tennis touch too. have to do with trauma? No, I'm just saying like, I, rem- I that drill in particular, because my coach used to like stand there and just literally laugh at my face and not, uh, there, not help me okay, with it. There it is. There yeah. it is. I, was wondering I said what the, that part. Did you not to, hear that part? No, to bring no, it up over again. I said You're, my coach just stood there and laughed at me. Um, no, yeah. I think you were, you were burying that oh. deep down inside, Megan. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. Well, let's okay. play it back. I don't remember. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't hear the coach part. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You should just stand there. Yeah. Oh, was that? 
Is that our kid? I don't know. I don't know. Our dog <laughs> likes to go wake up our child when uh. he's sleeping because he thinks that he needs someone to play with. So double, Anyways. double whammy. I don't hear it. So yeah, you can check that out by going to our YouTube channel, Instagram, or Facebook. And uh, the title of that video was Improve Your Tennis Eye-Hand Coordination at Home. And you'll see me demonstrating the, the cradles there, the catches, as well as uh, a tap routine, uh, bouncing the ball. Really, really simple stuff, but all of it helps. So to just go back to the beginning and review here, number one, set goals. Number two, work on your footwork patterns. Number three, work on your fitness. Number four, your mental toughness. Number five, your technique. Number six, your strategy. Number seven, your coordination and your touch. All with actionable, I mean, really, honestly, simple ways that you can do this at home. And to the extent that you check these off of your list, you know, on a weekly basis or maybe every other day or whatever, whatever you can commit to that is is workable for you, it's, you're going to be that much better off when you actually head back to the court. The transition is going to be that much less jarring if you've been doing something at home, in particular in each of these areas. Even if you just pick two or three areas, you're going to be way ahead of most of your peers who are probably sitting at home doing nothing, milk duds and complaining right now. <laughs> yeah. But I think that it's also, it's a really good time to put in habits that you haven't been doing on the court and to actually take this as an idea of, okay, I want to improve my tennis while I'm at home. (laughs) It's like the scary movie, uh, bedroom door. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It totally is. Um, but you know, like, just don't think of this as like, well, I guess I could do something like, you know, use this as, okay, this is my time to work on all the things that I should have been doing, but that I haven't been doing because there's a ton of those for every tennis player out there. There's just not enough hours in the day to do everything that we should be doing, or we'd be all playing on the pro tour. I mean, that's their job. They do stretching every day. They do all of these things every single day. They watch videos and, and, you know, they do a ton of stuff and because that's their job. Well, this isn't your job. You're doing it because it's your passion. So use this time that you have at home to set a little bit of time away for yourself and be able to actually continue to to improve your tennis and work on the things that you need to work on. Final thoughts, KG? Yeah, I think my saying is turn this, this obstacle into an advantage. Um, I think just like Megan said, just use the time productively so you're not looking back and going like, oh, man, I could have did that. You know, you run into someone else who has been doing the work, who has been putting in the extra time, and you you see that they've improved and you're like, oh, shoot, I missed out. Don't miss out. Take advantage of turning the situation we have right now into a situation that can improve your tennis game. And to do that, you just take action. You know, you move the coffee table. That's going to be my, my like thing. (laughs) Move the coffee table. Hashtag move the coffee (laughs) table. Um, So you can do your footwork drills. But I think that's, that's the key. Don't let that be an obstacle. Move the coffee table. It just gets me so fired up. Is what I said in the comments (laughs) was, you know, the room was full of stuff before we started shooting. Like there were chairs, there's a table, there was toys. Like, 
what if we walked into the room that day and we're like, oh, man, there's a bunch of stuff in here. I guess we won't make any videos. There's not enough room. Like, yeah, yeah, you have the choice every time there's a, uh, an obstacle, whether it's a big one or a little one, to either focus on how hard it is and how unfair it is and how frustrating it is or take that same energy and apply it towards some kind of creative solution. And there's probably been no better time, at least in our lifetimes, where, where there's such a stark example of that as right now where everything has mm-hmm. been basically taken away that we're used to, the way that it's used to, to happening in our day-to-day lives. And now we have to improvise. And tennis is definitely no different. And we hope that we gave all of you a lot of great ideas today, things that you can go take action on right away. And if you'd like to... No, not if you'd like to. You should. You should go sign up now for Home Tennis Max because it's a very comprehensive step-by-step system on day-by-day, skill-by-skill, exactly how to develop everything that we talked about today. So go to hometennismax.com, check it out. Looking forward to seeing you inside the course. Thanks for listening today. Kevin and Megan, thank you for joining me on this episode of Quarantine Audio. (laughs) Quarantine. Quarantine (laughs) Shankcast. Stay safe. That was awkward. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, take care, everybody.